You're listening to the Be Healthy Naturally podcast, episode number 51. Hey, we are Dr. Shane and Liz Watt. We are doing this podcast because we are trying to bring knowledge and education to create a new way of thinking about our health. Knowledge is the key to a happy, healthy life, and our goal is to help you live your best life. So join us and let's learn together. Welcome Spencer Barton out to the podcast today. Spencer is a nurse practitioner who specializes in insulin. Now, Spencer, you, we talked about this a little bit before we started. You actually were in the, the normal, I guess you would say the other type of, the standard medical model of healthcare before you got into more of the functional health. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey that you took to be able to get to where now you teach people about insulin and the importance of insulin. Yeah. So, um, so I actually started in the army. I was a nurse there. I worked in the, the ICU, the ER pediatrics. You didn't serve in any cool places. I went to uh, Germany for three years and, um, which was amazing. It was amazing for the family. We went to like 30 different countries. It was, it was awesome. I know because we're all like little states over there. You can travel all over the world. Oh place. yeah. We're actually, yeah. We're actually going to Spain next month. So for oh, our cool. 30 year anniversary. Right on. Right on. Yeah. And so listen, I, I, I worked for, for the hospitals for, oh, seven years in the army and then about three years, um, outside doing ICU in the, in the private sector. And I saw the whole gambit. I saw, I saw the whole spectrum of health in, in people. And it's very clear that something's missing in healthcare. There's, it's very clear that we're missing something. Um, for example, when I was in clinicals, I had two different occasions where we would go in to see a patient so, so I'm in clinicals for school, right? I'm, I'm with another provider where they're kind of teaching me. Yeah. You're doing rounds kind of thing. Yeah. And, and we're in with the, with the patient and the patient comes in and she's struggling to lose weight. She's struggling to, to, uh, reverse her diabetes and, um, the provider, you know, we start talking to her and, and she says, listen, I'm doing everything you're telling me to do. I am, I'm eating a low calorie diet. I'm, I'm eating zero fats. Uh, what else do I need to do here? And, and, you know, we kind of conclude and whatnot and, and we go out and we start charting and in the charting, the provider writes in patient is non-compliant patient is apathetic, blah, 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 blah. And the thought comes to my mind, I'm pretty good at telling when, when somebody's lying to me and that patient did not seemed like they were lying to me. And, and that, like I told you that, that happened uh, twice where I had two different providers that wrote something similar to that. And it didn't sit well with me. I, I thought, I don't think these patients are necessarily lying. And I don't think that the majority of America is apathetic or non-compliant. I, I think that they, I think that we as Americans, we want to be healthy, but we we just don't have the proper support and so i started looking into it especially after my wife the provider blamed the patient instead of answering other questions i mean think about that. 
I mean, you you now know, we know it's like, okay, well, maybe you shouldn't have been eating a low fat diet. You know, I mean, different things like that. It's like, that's just the, the stuff that we've been told for so many years in regards to health is such a farce. And that's why you're doing what you're doing. We're doing what we're doing because we got to get the truth out there. And that's not what we told. And the medical doctors, the majority of them know diddly squat about this kind of stuff. They really do. And that's why it's like, well, they're not doing what they're obviously not doing what they're supposed to because it's not working, you know. But did he answer any questions? No. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I actually, I, I consider myself a traditional provider. I, I don't think that I'm providing care in any necessarily different way other than I use nutrition and lifestyle change to do it. You know, I look at disease. Well, I hate to tell you that. That means you're not a traditional <laughs> provider. I know, but. So it, get over that because you're not because no one, I mean, the regular doctors just don't it, do and, it. And Let's isn't that honest. frustrating that, that, that we're sort of considered the, the snake oil salesman when. Right, right, right. I, I, we're considered the alternative when we're actually the, doing the ones that the, the, the way it's supposed exactly. to be done. They're an alternative. By exactly. Medical, yeah. So, yeah, so that's what I do. And, and I focus my attention on, on insulin and it's um, insulin is extremely important, of course. Um, but here's the deal up to 88% of American adults are insulin resistant. Um, we know that for sure it's over 50%, but a, a systematic review came out a couple of years ago and demonstrated that potentially up to almost nine out of 10 American adults have insulin resistance, which is insane. I saw a thing on Facebook the other day and it showed a picture at the beach in 19 like 70 and then it showed a picture of the beach now you know and it's just standard shots and it's like does anyone see a difference here but obviously besides the fashion right it's like you look at the pictures in the night in the late 60s and 70s there weren't as many fat people not even close yeah so much that we we had to create a whole new category of of obesity you know we now have uh, morbid obesity and it's scary we've never had 12 year olds that that were morbidly obese type 2 diabetes at 12 years old i mean that's that's insane and now not to say it's super common but we're seeing it we shouldn't even yeah. be seeing it it's because they're, they're instead of giving a bottle of milk they're given a bottle of of you know soda and it, you see you see you see it happening it's and unfortunately it happens more in lower income areas you know and that's who's really it's a travesty for you know is is the, the underprivileged are, are having it's huge right so let's go into the let's go into kind of what you're doing for the insulin and, and all those kinds of things. Yeah, so I I I take a patient um, and then I send them to get labs drawn, and it's absolutely key that we look at insulin. Um, we we cannot diagnose insulin resistance without looking at it. Um, I talk to patient after patient, and and they. And I asked, they tell me, oh, well, I've had my labs drawn. Do we really need to do that again? And I say, well, did they look at insulin? And 99 point something percent of the time they say, uh, I don't know, or, or no, no, I, I don't think so. We have, well, they looked at the A1C. Right? Look at A1C. Yeah. And, and that's usually, oftentimes that's what people say. Well, they looked at my A1C. Is that insulin? And, and it's not, it's, it's a measure of your glucose over, over a three month period. Um, you know, basically a roundabout way. Which is great. So we, what is it? 
specific test that you're actually looking for yeah. that you want what's, what, what's called for the viewers yep i look at i look at multiple things and the, number one i look at insulin we do a fasting insulin and then we get a fasting blood sugar and that gives me what's called a, a homa ir score so I, t- I do a little equation off of that and it, and it gives me a score and i go off of that but mind you that i can't just look at that i've also got to look at lipids i've got to look at um sometimes i'll do like a fatty acid um, test where I, where I look at fatty acids. There's just, there's a lot of things that we can look at to tell if somebody's insulin resistant. And then one of the main things that we do is, is get a history. Uh, history is super vital in in understanding where a patient's coming from. So that's where I start. I put a, I put a glucose monitor on all my patients. Yeah. We've done those for for fun just to kind of, yeah, because it's amazing how you can track things and you can see how things spike. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's how I get started. And then from there, we kind of figure out what what nutrition plan will will help that patient to to improve their health, not just lose weight, but but to improve their health and actually reverse illness rather than push it along down the line. You know, I started to notice that when we wore that glucose monitor, that first of all, I noticed how amazing our body is. Because it can track everything that you eat. You can see what your insulin, what your levels do, what your blood sugars do. And then it's kind of like then all of a sudden your body dumps in this insulin and then that insulin brings down your blood sugars. But Mm -hmm. maybe you ate something that was too high so then has to do another dump. Or maybe then it dumped too much and then all of a sudden, you know, you get lower and then it has to start raising it and so anyways i just saw as i was wearing that our body is amazing and the way if it's functioning properly it knows what to do but second of all what i notice is that everything we eat affects it but also there's so many other things around that affect it too. Stress, sleep, um, exercise. There are so many different ways that we could control our insulin levels, our blood sugar levels, basically, um, by even more than just food. So what are some of these things that you've noticed that people then can incorporate into their, into their daily routine, 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 to help with their insulin levels because not everybody has a glucose monitor on. Yeah. And, and Spencer, yeah, let's, yeah. let's take that back for a quick second. I, most of the people that are that listen to this are pretty educated. You know, they're into the natural. But just go through insulin, what it is, why it is, how it works, all that kind of thing really quick. Just do like an insulin 101 first. Sure. Yeah, so, so uh, Liz explained it actually quite well. So – Anytime you consume a glucose load or that your body releases a glu- glucose load, your body has to respond with insulin. If, if not, then your, your blood sugar uh, will just uh, climb and then you, you obviously get type 2 diabetes. Um, so your, your body responds with, with insulin. And then what happens is because of the, of the vast amounts of of glucose that we consume here in America, your body be- starts to become resistant to it. It's, it, I actually, I, I like to think of it sort of like alcoholism. 
which is a little weird. But if if you look at you, you talk to that Irish guy that says that he can drink you under the table, right? He can just he can just drink and drink and drink and never get drunk. You you become tolerant to that alcohol. You another way of saying that is you become resistant to it. Well, it's the same thing with with insulin resistance. You you start to become resistant to it. But the beauty is, is that if you remove that environmental factor, meaning the loads of glucose that we consume, you can become sensitive again. And then once you're sensitive, gosh, you can lose weight. You can, uh, you can reverse diabetes and you can eat all these types of things that, uh, I should say in moderation, but you, your body can handle the sugar a little bit better. But it's absolutely important to bring down those insulin levels. Did that answer your question, Shane? Yeah, just kind of explain a little bit more about the uh, the actual molecule or hormone of of insulin, if you would, a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. So it's so it's a hormone. Um, it's in my view, perhaps the most important hormone in the body. And the reason I say that is is I like to think of it as the conductor of the orchestra of hormones. And for for example. Uh, you've heard of PCOS, right? Polycystic ovary, ovary syndrome. It's caused by insulin resistance. And, and here's what happens. You, uh, you become insulin resistant and all the other hormones play off of insulin. And so once that, once you become resistant to insulin, all of a sudden your estrogen levels can drop, your progesterone levels can get out of whack. And now you go down this line of, of your menstrual cycle um, being a problem. Uh, I apologize. I'm I'm diverging a little bit on PCOS, but uh, the the fact of the matter is, insulin affects every part of your body. It's it's really interesting. Most hormones affect a portion of your body. Uh, you know, perhaps your thyroid or your adrenal glands or whatever. But insulin, there is no cell in your body that's not affected by it, and um, it's incredibly important just not at high levels or at super low levels. So, and, and, and also like if you get into it, when people have to take insulin, you know, it can be very detrimental to a lot of other health issues. They may be able to manage, you know, but insulin is, is, is actually pretty, pretty inflammatory, right? It's, it's inflammatory. And so just saying, Oh, well, I'm just, you know, cause you see people, it's like, Oh, I'm going to have that cake tonight because it's my birthday. So, but I'm just going to shoot a little bit more insulin, right? I mean, you hear people talk like that, or I'm just going to take a little bit more of my metformin, or I'm just going to take, and it's such a, the the craziest thing about this whole thing, especially with insulin, type two diabetes, all that, it's 100% caused by you, whether willingly or, or unwillingly, you know, knowing or unknowing, it's caused by you and it can be changed. Everyone that has that can change it. And that's what's cool about what you're doing. Yeah, that, that's what I love about it is, is listen, I, I truly believe that there's some genetic factors that can push somebody towards insulin resistance. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There, there are people have different genetic things, but it still it doesn't manifest. But you take, away that, you take away that environmental factor and now you can control it. Yeah. You know, I, I get that a lot as a, as a chiropractor. People are like, well, my dad had back pain and I got back pain. And it's like, well, your dad was a farmer and you're a farmer. <laughs> it might be that might be the reason, you know, instead of the, the whole genetic thing. But yeah, there's some genetic propensities for sure. But it doesn't mean you have to go that way just because there are, right? 
Absolutely. In fact, we should look at the genetic factors. You know, if we can figure that out early on and you know you've got a family history, that just gives you more data to know what you need to do, in my opinion. So, Spencer, um, one thing I want to stress is how important it is to work with with a provider when they're you're trying to figure out your insulin. Because, for instance, when I was wearing my glucose monitor, I was actually surprised that there's different things that I ate or well, Shane share, ate. Share that one story. We've done that one thing. I had been up painting for a long time, hadn't eaten all day, and so I just went and got some of those garden of eden veggie vegetable vegetable crackers crackers, right and i eat them well all of a sudden it was like my insulin levels or not insulin your my blood blood sugar sugar levels yes i shouldn't be saying i know they're two different things blood sugar levels all of a sudden was getting up she just dipped in some salsa i think it was getting up into like 180 or something like that just really spiked really really because i know i hadn't eaten all day I had been working and all of a sudden I just did this this rush of, you know, these crackers that I had had. And all of a sudden it just spiked really high. Well, the next time I, you know, it's not like these are not as, they're healthier. Not, not, yeah, they're healthier, right? But this time I decided I was going to have it with some avocado. And so I dipped it in some avocado dip. And it was amazing how low it it kept it probably about 110 it didn't raise it hardly at all and that's like when you go back to the person that said i'm eating the low fat diet like you told me to do and did it that's where the whole ball was just dropped because fats are one of the best things you can do to help control your blood sugars it kind of helps helps um you know equalize things yeah yeah studies have shown that if you eat if you eat fats and usually you what they've shown is that if you if you can eat fats before you eat that particular carbohydrate it can help control your sugar now here's the really interesting thing with that liz is that if we were able to check your insulin levels um your insulin levels would have spiked regardless that's the really strange thing and i and i can't wait for the day when we can wear a monitor that that tells us our our insulin levels at a continuously because they say it's coming right they do say that it's coming. it's it uh, insulin is a very difficult hormone to um or just hormones in general are very difficult to to measure and so to get to that point they've got a lot of hurdles but so let me give you an example uh shane and liz so i'm right now i'm working on some some videos for my social media where I go into the lab and I have them draw a uh, fasting insulin. And then I go and eat a certain product, certain common day, every food, everyday food that people think is healthy. Hamburger and fries at McDonald's. Is yeah. Something along those lines. And, and then they, and then I have them check my insulin levels every 30 minutes for two hours. I've literally been poked like 20 times in the last two weeks uh, doing this. But it's been a lot of fun. I mean, so here, here's what I did. The very first time I went, I I had a Freddy's uh, chocolate concrete. And it was just a mini. It was like 50 grams, 58 grams of carbohydrates and whatever. What I don't know what that is. What it's is an that? ice oh, cream. Oh, it's an ice cream. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So I, I checked my insulin levels. I started out at 
Um, it was 5.4 milligrams per deciliter when, on my fasting. And then by out, by, by the one hour mark, my insulin jumped up to 44, which wasn't a big surprise. I knew that it was going to spike my insulin tremendously. What happens is the blood sugar raises, and then to help counteract the blood sugar, then the body dumps in insulin, and that's that's why in type 1 diabetics, they don't have those proper cells that pr- help produce the insulin. That's why they have, you know, that's why. Exactly. That so, so the very next day, I did the exact same thing, but I ate oatmeal, just straight oatmeal, no, no sugar, no berries, no nothing, just straight oatmeal. And um, my insulin within an hour spiked up to 61 from 4.4. Um, and my sugar, the crazy thing, Liz, is my uh, my sugar did not go up all that much. It was maybe five or ten, but all the same, my insulin spiked huge. That's interesting because you think the insulin would only spike if the blood sugar spiked. Exactly, and there's so many products out there that that show that we 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 don't see a big sugar spike, just kind of a steady. It'll kind of come up a little bit and then come down. And, but we do see a massive insulin spike, 61. I, I, I knew it was going to go up because, you know, I've read enough on it that, that I know that that's what happens. But, um, how long did it go up for? Cause you said you did it every 30 minutes. How long until it kind of balanced back? Yeah. So it, so my first check at 30 minutes was it went up to 17.1. And then by the hour, it was at 61. So that was a huge jump. And then by an hour and a half, it was down to 20. Well, so that's one thing that I noticed with wearing the monitor. I know that the glu- the, it's different between the insulin and the glucose, but how well your body responds, like um, how quickly it can come back down. Because if it stays up high for a long time, you know that your insulin is being affected. It's not being able to come back down quickly. One of the things that we noticed that if after you eat, if you just do a little walk around the neighborhood, just do any kind of exercise, and it's not a massive exercise, it's just a, it's just a lazy walk around the neighborhood, your blood sugar wouldn't nearly spike as much. Is that the same with insulin or not? No, not necessarily. You're still going to get an insulin spike with with the the certain foods that you eat that basically what happens when you go on that walk or you, you go on the exercise is you, you deplete your levels of glucose. Basically Um, you, you deplete your glycogen. So granted I'm, I'm not anti-exercise. In fact, I, I promote it when I, when my patients get into month two, I start promoting exercise because I know the benefits of exercise to me are that you can deplete your glycogen levels in your body and now your body can switch over to start consuming fats. If you never get through those glycogen levels, your body will never, or, or it just has a very hard, it's a harder time to get over to start using the fats. Um, but just, uh, let, me, let me touch on one more thing when it comes to insulin. It, think of insulin resistance as a spectrum, right? On one side, if you're insulin sensitive, your body handles sugars, it handles, it handles the insulin very well. Meaning, if you eat a piece of cake, it might push you a little bit towards insulin resistance, but then you're back right back on your, your program or whatever, and you come right back to insulin sensitive. If you're insulin resistant, 
meaning your body does not handle sugars well and and it doesn't handle insulin well if you eat that cake as insulin resistant that that's basically poison to your body there's no you know uh, it is very uh it's gonna get you exactly and so with my program what i do is i we get you over to insulin sensitive and then we figure out what your body can handle as far as uh carbohydrates and glucose and and all of that which they really need to change that name because ever when you think of like insulin sensitive, you think that's a problem, right? Because it's like, I have a gluten sensitivity, I have a dairy sensitivity, you know? <laughs> so, but all it means is the glu- is the insulin sensitive means it's working the way it's supposed to because it's, it's not to do it. Your body, your body is sensitive to it. Yeah. So what are some ways that you think that a normal person, everyday person can incorporate into their life to help? So maybe like Best four or five their... tips that you can give on what to do. So Liz already touched on the top three causes of insulin resistance. Number one is nutrition. So so nutrition is the biggest thing that you can do to improve your, your sensitivity, your insulin sensitivity. Number two is sleep. Um, and I would say number two and number three, it's hard to say which, which one is worse. But basically sleep and stress um, – when you don't get enough sleep, you tend to release more cortisol, more epinephrine into your bloodstream, and both of those cause higher blood sugar levels. And so anything you can do to lower your blood sugar levels, get good sleep, um, try to reduce your stress in your life. But let's talk about nutrition a little bit. So if I was to draw out a graph for you of what the different macronutrients do to your insulin, um, Protein, protein over, and let me back up a little bit. If, if I was able to measure your insulin levels over a three-hour period after you eat your food, that's about the amount of time it takes for your, for your insulin to come up and then come back down. And mind you, that's if you're sensitive to insulin, okay? So if you eat a protein, just straight protein, your insulin level will come up like this and kind of come down. That's a, that's a, it's just like standard little bell curve kind of comes up and comes down, a little hill, which is good. There's not a really a big spike there. And that's something we probably need to make people aware of. It, your body is made to go up and down. It's not going to stay flat. So if you're trying to stay flat, it's not going to happen. So you're, you're riding a wave your entire life, absolutely. Now, if you eat a carbohydrate, and mind you, uh, not all carbohydrates are created equal. We, we get that. But generally – with carbohydrates, your insulin spikes real high, and then it slowly comes back down like that. Um, now, here's the kicker, and here's why we really messed up over the last 70 years. If you eat a fat, um, you know, olive oil or avocado oil or avocados or olives, you get the idea. Um, and even, gosh, even the saturated fats, Shane and Liz, uh, are not showing to, to cause an insulin spike. You basically get a flat. You get a flat line. Or nuts, as in pecans, right? You, you eat those before, right? Hey, there you go. Yeah, but basically, in a three-hour period, there's very little release of insulin, very little, and that's the beauty of it. Is number one, fats are delicious and they satiate your body, but they don't release a lot of fats. So, or excuse me, a lot of insulin. So, I'm not saying you spend the rest of your life just drinking olive oil. Um, the good Lord gave us excellent food that we can eat, and that includes carbohydrates. 
but absolutely get your body insulin sensitive first and then start looking into some of the more complex carbs that you can incorporate into your diet. Not because it's healthy for you, but because you want variety. Well, I remember one time we had, it was like a birthday party or something like that. And I was wearing my monitor. And so before I had, if you want to say that they had, I'm, I, I'm a, I'm weak for brownies. Let's just say that, right? The brownies are one of my favorite sweets if I have any. And so I had a big handful of pecans and nuts before, and then I had the brownie. My blood sugar didn't even really go up. I was amazed. And it was a brownie from scratch that she made, so it's usually healthier, you know. But still, it was it was pretty crazy. And like you said, to have that before. Yeah, it certainly helps. Absolutely. I, I would just advise, I would just advise you that, that, uh, that try to get, and, and I don't, and I'm not talking about you particular, I'm talking about the viewers, get your body healthy first and, and then, and then start finding those ways, um, to, that you can have some of those carbohydrates occasionally. And, and here's the deal. You can't live the rest of your life without, I mean, you could, you, you can live your rest of your life without sugar, but, but it's just, it's so pervasive in our society. You, you go to a church event and they've got donuts and brownies there. It's so for, for me, if, if you're in a healthy state, why not have the occasional brownie, the occasional donut? Um, but you got to get there first or else you're just sort of continuing that needle towards insulin resistance. So one thing I noticed when, um, and I know I'm going back to the monitor again, because I mean, you obviously wear when you know how important it is and how it's it, very eye opening. Yeah. How it can it affect you and stuff like that? But one thing I noticed is that let's say I put it on and I'm able to then get my blood sugars really regulated by what I eat. And then, then I won't wear it for probably, you know, like three, four months, whatever. And I put it back on during that, that time of not monitoring so much. Of course, I've had a lot more different spikes. Well, when I put it back on, I notice that my blood sugars are not staying more consistent. They're more erratic in the beginning until I start monitoring it more. And so like accountability. We, yeah. What I, what one thing that you, you know, you talked about is, you know, getting your body in that state to where it, it can handle some of these things. But that we also have to remember that we have to continue to still do things, even though our bodies are in that state, to be able to keep it in that state. Because it it can, like I noticed, as soon as I put it back on, my blood sugars are more erratic and going up and down more than being, you know, just doing the, the up and the in the slight down, you know, up slightly, up and then down slightly. Or else they'll, they'll raise up higher, you know, get up into the 130s, 140s, 150s a lot easier rather than staying in the one below the 120s with the same type of foods. And so it is something like you talk about. It's, it's something you have to continue on to keep yourself in that state. No, absolutely. In fact, the the average con the average consumer in America consumes, I should say, the average American consumes about three hundred to five hundred grams of carbohydrates per day, which is just a tremendous amount. So, number one, there is no standardized diet that we can just give to everyone. That was a terrible idea back in the seventies. But what we can do is is 
I would say the upper limit that, that anybody should be on as far as the average American should be no more than probably 125 grams of carbohydrates per day. Most people are having four times the amount of what they should. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's different. You know, you, you take that kid that, that's 12 years old and he's already morbidly obese. That guy probably needs to be on quite a bit less than 125. Or you take, uh, you know, Joe Schmo down the street that, that eats pancakes every day and they seem to do okay. But then in their 40s and 50s, they start to get acid reflux and they start to get uh, high blood pressure and whatnot. Um, maybe that person can actually do well on 100 to 125. Um, so yes, yeah, you absolutely have to spend the rest of your life eating healthy just with the occasional treats. Again, not because it's healthy, just because it adds variety. I truly believe, listen, if we look at it and we say, the longer that you're insulin resistant, the easier it is for your body to go back into insulin resistance, right? If, if I, if we reverse diabetes, we, we know that that person is at a much higher risk of going back into diabetes than someone that's never had diabetes. Well, I believe the reverse. It, the longer that you're insulin sensitive, that being the good, the good side, right? Um, I believe that the longer you're insulin sensitive, the, the better that your body or the easier your body has of staying insulin sensitive. How would somebody know that they're insulin sensitive without just in general? without having to do the blood work or without having to do, you know, is, is there a way to know that or not, not really? There's a couple questions you can ask yourself and yeah, you, you, you absolutely won't be able to say for sure that you have, that you're insulin resistant or insulin sensitive unless you get the blood test. Um, but there's a couple things that we can look at. I, I can often look at a person and say, there's a very high likelihood that they are insulin resistant and, uh, the number thing we number one thing that I look at is is waist to hip ratio, um, and and it's not just belly fat. Uh, if if you look at somebody and if you were able to grab somebody's tummy, which this sounds so funny, and if you were to jiggle it, if it jiggles quite well, that's most likely subcutaneous fat, and that's actually not terrible fat. Okay, everybody needs a little bit of subcutaneous fat. That's that's part of. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry, you don't need it, but but it's but it's not going to cause disease. But if you look at somebody and their tummy is very firm, um, it's it's larger and it's very firm. That's most likely visceral fat, and that is disease causing fat. Okay, so that's so that's one thing you can look at. Another thing is is if you if you have difficulty losing weight, there's a very good chance that it's insulin resistance. If you've got acid reflux, there's a chance that insulin resistance is involved. If you, if you, there's a family history of diabetes, or if you have any type of, if you have pre-diabetes, uh, that's not just a chance of insulin resistance. That is insulin resistance. Um, high blood pressure. If there's even a history of that in your family, that increases your, your chances. Um, high cholesterol increases your chances, even a, even a family history of it. Um, what else can you think about? Um, so what do you, what do you say to the person? And I'm going to use my wife here as an example. Um, whether it's good or bad, is like she went hardcore because she had some anti, she had some infl inflammatory stuff going on. She's like, you know what, I'm just gonna 
eat as strict as I can, as good as I can. And she went on how almost, what, six months or so? 18 months. Okay, okay, so a long time. No sugar, no treats, no any of this stuff, and yet she didn't lose one pound. It's how, you know? It's, and that's what gets so frustrating for people, right? And that's why a lot of them say, forget it. It doesn't matter. So I've had probably three patients just like you, Liz, where we get them started. We, we decrease the carbs dramatically. We, we, uh, we decrease the sugar, just, you know, the carbs. And we, we increase the fats and we lower the calories even a bit. And for some reason, we just – We've just not seen any progress. We'll see some body composition change, right? Muscle will go up, fat will come down a bit, but there's not huge gains in in the the fat or the the weight loss. Um, and we, I have, I'll be co- quite honest. I have to get pretty radical with those patients. Um, what, what I what I like to call that is that they're they're pretty severely insulin resistant, and and your body is just sort of holding on to that way of being and what I do to get radical. And I don't mean to scare your viewers or, or scare you, uh, but, but we, I get into extended fasting and the whole idea is I spend the first month helping my patients to get, to get their bodies adapted to the fat that, that, that um, you know, that energy source of fat. And then after that, we, we start looking into fasting, intermittent fasting and, um, um, every other day fasting or, or even extended, extended fasting. And that seems to be the magic for those types of patients. It, it's sort of that, it's almost like a, it's almost like there's a threshold and you've got to get below that threshold of insulin in order to see any gains. And to be frank, fasting has, has been the, the number one help for that. There's also, you know, you have to, even if we look outside of more, looking at more of a bigger picture too. There is a lot of different hormones that our bodies have. And women have a lot of hormone swings because of just, you know, like pregnancy cycles and then menopause, right? And so a lot of women start to see a lot of these issues start to creep up a lot more when it starts to become menopause. Um, time in their lives just because now it's a huge different swing of hormones also and so these those hormones also come into effect who which we know the insulin is a hormone but then there's all these other hormones too and trying to balance that can be a big challenge for a lot of women also see we actually did at one time a seven-day fast so we did a seven-day water fast and for me you know um I mean, it's, I just, I got to where I just missed that, the eating aspect, you know, kind of thing. That's, you know, cause you don't get hungry after a while, but you just <laughs> miss the, the eating, right? It's craving. Yeah. yeah because, yeah. Yeah, um, but like, she feels like that's one of the things that kind of threw her off the ledge a little bit more, which is really interesting. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's, everyone's so different. And that's the hardest thing about functional health. Is, is that we don't put everybody into the box and say, oh, here, just take this. Here, just take this. Here, take this. Like, And that's why it's standard. good to work with a practitioner to be able to mm-hmm. go through these little things and see, you know, is it 
is what is you know what's the insulin doing in your body what's the other hormones doing in your body you know how is your how are you responding to the fasting how are you responding to you know like wearing the glucose monitor there's so many different aspects when it comes to it that why it's so important to be able to have a practitioner to work with so spencer can you tell our audience like who like how they can get a hold of you and what resources they have to be able to learn from you. Yeah. So uh, you can find me at peaconhelp.com and um, you can book a free consult right on my website. And then on Instagram, I'm, I'm just getting into this, this social media game, but you, you can get me at a pecan underscore help. And, um, I'm, I'm you mean regular pecan help was already taken. Yeah. How dare they. Right. So yeah, you can find me there. I'm posting all sorts of content on there and I'm, I'm just starting the video game of, of, of how to get videos on there and whatnot. So I I'm, I'm slowly building that. And, um, uh, but yeah, I'd love to chat with anybody that, that would like to come visit with me. And I, I, like I said, I do a free consult, so there's no, no risk and, and come to see, coming to see me. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. We've gone a little overtime on what we normally do for this, but you know, it, it, it is such an important topic and it is something that there's so many people that are struggling with. Yeah. So thank you, Spencer. And um, we're grateful that you were able to share your knowledge with our audience today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Shane. It's sure nice to meet you guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. The more knowledge you have, the more you will be empowered to make the changes in your life. And because of this, your life will be elevated. Your health journey is between you and your doctor. This podcast is not meant to diagnose or treat any conditions. However, if your current healthcare provider is not meeting your healthcare goals, it is time to take control of your health. If you know anyone who can benefit from our podcast, please like, leave a review, and don't forget to share it with your family and friends. Together, let's take back our health.